Hey, you know, it's uh, December, so Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, I love this season. Merry Christmas to all of you at 95th, those of you at Bolingbrook, at Wheaton, here at Hobson. And I wanted to, before I dive into my message, just remind you about these signs. Something really special is starting now next month. January and February, we got the Explore Got Chicago initiative where all of these churches, I think it's like 650 now, throughout Chicagoland, are doing the same series. And it's going to be a special time of seeing a lot of people come to faith in Christ. There's going to be a buzz. You know, there are billboards starting to go up. Mailers are going to go out. Churches are going to have signs. Uh, and you can contribute by adding a yard sign. If you live in a house with a yard and can pick up one of these, please do so. I thought, you know, so last week I, I got uh, two for my yard, actually, and I looked at the weather. I saw this big storm was coming Sunday night, and it's going to get really cold. And so I got mine in the ground. The uh, snow crushed it, but I dug it up and, and bent it back up, and we're good to go now. But I thought, oh, that's it, you know, the, the ground's frozen from here on out. No, the Lord brought a thaw for you. <laughs> Pick up your sign. Be a part of this great win uh, for the Lord's work. All right. I wanted to um, start this message by just showing you this thingamajig. Do you see that? That is bad. Very bad. Bad, bad, bad. On that wicked storm last Sunday night, I was sleeping. I uh, woke up in the middle of the night, looked over at my alarm clock, and it's out. And I knew, uh-oh, no power. And uh, in the morning, sure enough, still no power. And the temperature, you know, with no power, no furnace, temperature starting to drop in our house. I went outside to see if I could figure out what the problem was. And sure enough, so I live with a house that has a wire, above ground power coming in. And I looked at it, and how it works is there's a cable stretching across the street to my house, and then the power line wraps around the metal cable. Well, the cable had snapped the thingamajig and the storm, the wind, the rain, the branches, I don't know. Uh, it had broken, and the wire was kind of pulled out of my house and sagging real low. And I'm like, well, I can't see where it's broken, but somewhere obviously along it's broken. Know where the problem is. So I get online, I call the Naperville people. I'm like, we got no power. We're freezing. Save us. And uh, they said, well, we'll do our best. And it was late afternoon. I mean, it's getting so cold that we're, I'm warming my hands over the stovetop, you know, trying to... And sure enough, there's a knock on the door. And I open it up, and there's the power lines technician standing there. He says, Mr. Griffin, I've got good news and bad news. What do you ask for first? Uh, I'm kind of like, give me the bad news, and then we'll celebrate the good news. So I have bad news. He said, uh, you know that broken thingamajab in the cable? He goes, we don't have time to fix it now. He said, this has been the worst. He goes, I've been doing this for over 10 years. This is the worst power outage storm in my tenure here. And it's going to take us a couple days before we can fix your problem. I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm going to die and it's on you, buddy, you know? And I'm like, well, what's the good news? He says, this thing isn't your problem. 
He said, yeah, it's pulled the line out of your house some, but it seems still to be connected. He said, five doors down, a tree has fallen and knocked down a power pole. And there's a whole bunch of you that don't have power. That's why you don't have power. And he said, we've been working on that all day, and within the next hour, your power will come back. And sure enough, it did. I'm still waiting for this to be fixed, but you know I can be patient as long as we got power and I'm not freezing. Good news and bad news. Isn't that kind of how life is sometimes? Whether it's a phone call, whether it's watching the news, whether it's talking to someone, getting the report, looking at the finances, taking a look at sales. So often life is good news and bad news. And I might add, it seems like a lot more bad news than good news. Doesn't it seem that way? Well, friends, as we're about to find out, Christmas at its core is all about good news. And good news that is so good that if you can get your mind, your heart around it, you will realize it makes the bad news laughably small in comparison. And how are we going to learn about this good news? Well, it was an angel that came to the shepherds on the first Christmas. And this angel announcing, among other things, he said, I bring you good news of great joy. Today's message is called Good News of Great Joy. So uh, why are we studying the shepherds? Well, the shepherds sometimes are minimized and overlooked at Christmas, but not this Christmas at the Compass Church. We're giving five weeks to the study of the 13 verses in Luke 2 that really explore what those shepherds went through. Because what those shepherds on that first Christmas, what they saw, what they heard, what they learned, what they experienced, it changed their lives forever. I mean, they were never the same because of that experience. And what we're doing is rewinding the clock. We're going back in time. We're joining those shepherds through God's word and a little help from creativity from the Holy Spirit. And we're going to experience what they experienced in the hopes of being transformed like they were. Honestly, I just believe that if this truth we're studying, we can internalize. It will change our lives in beautiful and extraordinary ways. So let's start. Good news of great joy. I'm, I'm reading out of Luke 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, the shepherds, do not be afraid. Oh, I better stop. Why did he have to tell them not to be afraid? Well, a little reminder, last week when the angel appeared, not only the angel, but those shepherds experienced an an appearance of the glory of God. Last week's message was entitled, Glory of the Lord. And the glory of God, we discovered, is when God's majesty his holiness, his beauty, his goodness, his character is displayed and powerful like a light beaming down. And as you can imagine, these shepherds that day, as they were enveloped by this divine light, this glory of God, they were overwhelmed. Their knees were knocking. They were freaking out. And so the first thing the angel says is, guys, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Friends, uh, let's highlight good news. You, you should know that the Greek that's translated here, good news, is euangelion, which means 
the gospel. In fact, gospel and good news are two translations of the same Greek word. And so when we talk about the central Christian message, the gospel message of Christ saving sinners, that is the good news the angel came to bring. Now, that news, so some of you are like, oh, man, I heard that news a thousand times. You know, I, uh, uh, you know, trusted Christ back when I was four years old, and I'm 124 now. And, uh, and you're like, it's just not new to me. And friends, I pray it becomes new to you again, even as we study. Because if it's fresh, if it's real to you, it can lead to great joy. Let's highlight that. Friends, uh, Good news brings great joy. I would uh, remind you that you just focus on the bad news. That brings great depression. If all your preoccupation in mind is centered on all that's bad, and there's a lot of bad news, it's not going to be good for the emotional state of your soul. But if you can connect, deeply connect, with the good news, again, that's so good, it makes the bad small in comparison. A reconnection with that good news can bring a great joy to you this Christmas and beyond as you celebrate this good news. And so let's, let's uh, press into what that good news is and see if it can't bring us great joy again. Next verse, the angel declares the good news he's come to bring. He says, today in the town of David, that's Jerusalem. I'm, not, I'm sorry, that's Bethlehem. <laughs> I do know my geography here. (laughs) Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Ah, I just learned something. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Friends, that's the good news. The core of what the angel says there is a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. In fact, let's go to the next slide. I want to zoom in on the core of this good news, the birth of a Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. Now, you'll notice I've put this in the context of a edge of a swimming pool, water. Uh, forgive me, but I can't think or read about a Savior, a rescuer, outside of a lifeguarding context. I haven't had many jobs in my life, pastor, you know, for a long time. But before that, for six years, there were six summers, I was a lifeguard. In fact, I studied and was qualified to train lifeguards. So lifeguarding is just a really big part of the way I see things. And when it comes to rescue, it's where I go. Now, this, this analogy may serve you uh, not at all. You may say, Jeff, I can't relate. I'll, you're going to hate this sermon. I'll just warn you. Because I'm going to try to use this lifeguarding motif to make the drama of the gospel, the good news, real to you in a way that brings you great joy. All right? So let, let's give it a shot. All right. So what the passage says is the Christmas at its core is all about a rescuer, a savior coming. And so we need a, a rescuer Uh, This is the lifeguard, all right? Uh, This is symbolizing Jesus. Now, he's not the only one that's part of this drama. It says the Savior has been born to you. You're a part of this drama. And you're not the rescuer. Uh, You're the one being rescued. Remember, a Savior's come to you. Why is he coming to you? To save. And so where are you? You're drowning, all right, the bad news that you got to understand before you appreciate the good news 
is the central teaching of God's word that you, every single human being, is an epic sinner. That we have rebelled from God in horrific ways, causing us to be in a world of hurt. When I say a sinner, you need to understand that God created humanity with free will, every one of us. And God invited us to be a part of his kingdom, to follow his kingship. God says, obey me. And we have said, no thanks. And we have turned, every one of us, in rebellion against God's spoken commands. In some cases, we've done the very things he told us not to do. In many cases, we've failed to do the things he's asked us to do. But the truth is, every one of us, in countless ways, if the tape could be played and there could be a video of all the ways we have sinned, I mean, it would be horrific. But we've joined the rebellion. A bunch of angels decided to rebel against God too. And we've joined the demonic rebellion. And friends, as part of the rebellion, we deserve to drown. Death, according to scriptures, is the consequence of sin. And death eternal is what we're getting at. You know, hell is a place, a world of no life because God is absent entirely. And we deserve that place where there is no God because we've rebelled against God. This agony of a joyless eternity separated from the God of love and life is what every one of us deserve. We're drowning. That's our scenario. And that's why we begin to say, oh, well, there's good news because there's a Savior. Now, I want to talk about this Savior a little more because the angel talks about this Savior a little more. The thing I want to point is, is the word uh, Lord. Remember, he's described here as the Messiah, and he's also described as the Lord. Now, that's a meaningful term. The angel announces this baby, this Savior who's in the manger right now. You need to know he is the Lord. And friends, that's a reference to God. We know that because in the previous verse, verse 10, the word Lord, the Greek word is kurios, same Greek word as as this one, twice it was used. It was used of the angel of the Lord and the glory of the Lord. And right there, very clearly, it's a reference to God. And so what we're discovering is that the rescuer who has come is none else than God himself. Now, it's confusing because the Bible's telling us that he's born, that the angel says he's born and he's lying in a manger. How can God be in a manger? Well, that's the wonder of the incarnation of Christmas, God becoming a man to save us. So now that we've known this about the rescuer, I'm not comfortable with this uh, picture with the rescuer and the drowning victim on kind of the same level. We need to elevate the rescuer. So let's do that. So now the lifeguard is on the lifeguard stand or the lifeguard chair. Just as a little symbolic reminder that he's not from earthly levels. He's from on high. He's the Lord. He's God himself, okay? All right, so he's from on high, and this passage tells us something. Well, it applies something. That if the Lord on high is aware of our drowning down below, the simple truth is he sees us. Let's put a dotted line here. He sees us. 
And you say, well, he sees us drowning. That's nothing big, of course. No, it is, actually is big. You ever heard of deism? It's a major spiritual conviction. Deists, a lot of the founding fathers of our country were deists. A deist believes that God exists, he just doesn't care. God started the whole world, but then sent it spinning, and he has nothing to do with it. He's off doing God things. He doesn't really care. Well, that's not the Christian message. That's not the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is he sees us. He has eyes filled with concern and compassion as he looks at us in our desperate straits. In fact, uh, back in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 16, Hagar, remember Hagar? She gives a new name to God. She goes, you know what I call you, God? I call you El Roy, which means the God who sees me. She can't believe in her desperate situation as she was going hungry in the wilderness. God showed up and rescued. And she's like, I thought of you as a God who doesn't care, who's far away, unconcerned. But I've learned you're the God who sees me. Christmas tells us that. Friends, though he's on high and though we're down in a mess, with loving eyes, he sees us. Now, for a lifeguard, seeing is very important. You know, the lifeguard who's, you know, looking at their nails, you know, or looking at the sun, doesn't even see the drowning victim, bad news. A good lifeguard's attentive and sees. God is a good rescuer. He sees. All right. After the seeing, now I want to zoom in on this word. He's the Lord. He's the Messiah. That term Messiah is a very rich uh, title for Christ, pointing to the many promises made in the Old Testament of the Messiah's coming. Did you know that? I mean, way back in the Old Testament, we're talking centuries, centuries, millennia ago, uh, God had promised there's a Messiah coming. I know it's bad. It's desperate. I've seen it. And I'm announcing the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. Interestingly, a lifeguard, before a lifeguard does a rescue, a lifeguard announces that the rescuer is coming. Do you know how they do that? Here, three blasts of the whistle. In fact, I have my uh, lifeguarding whistle here. Are you interested? This is just to wake up those who are sleeping. Here's how it sounds. Kind of a, a strange dynamic. The, the lifeguard wants to save, but a disciplined, well-trained lifeguard will say, no, before I go, I must announce. Signal. Um, it's interesting. You say, why three blasts? Well, a single blast of the whistle is how they yell at kids. You know, if a kid's running on the deck, you'll blow the whistle once, and you're like, stop it. Uh, two blasts is the signal to other lifeguards that I need your attention, lifeguards. There's something I want to convey to you. Three blasts is the signal that someone's drowning and I'm coming to the rescue. You know, practically speaking, this is good if you're drowning. So imagine you're underwater now and you're drowning. This summer, you know, when you're at the pool, you're like, I'm dying. And all of a sudden you hear three blasts of a whistle. Good news, the rescuer's coming. Hopefully the lifeguard doesn't take as long to come as Jesus did. Because Jesus uh, was announced that the Messiah is coming way back centuries. People have waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. And can you imagine after all that waiting, the wonder of what the shepherds say? He's here. He's here. 
the one whom the people of God, whom humanity has been waiting for, who has been promised from old, today in the town of David, the Savior, the Messiah, has arrived. Oh, Christmas is good news. The the long-promised one, the only hope for humanity, he's here. All right. Well, after the blast of the whistle comes the entry. Uh, This is fun. I mean, as lifeguards, we trained how to jump off. Check this out. The goal was to jump off of the lifeguard stand to land in the water and do a big scissor kick as you hit the water and use your hands. And the goal was to be able to, from that height, land in the water without your head going beneath the surface. You wanted to be able to maintain eye contact with the victim the whole time. And that took some, some practice. But eventually, you know, we did it. Friends, the injury, it's a glorious part of lifeguarding. It's a glorious part of the lifeguard, the savior, the rescuer in his drama with sinners. Well, what is the moment of the Lord leaving heaven and entering into our world? That's Christmas. When it says here, a savior has been born, The word born is mind-boggling, but it shows the entry of God into our world as one of us. He left the prerogatives of heaven, and he dove into the mess, into the muck, into the mire, into our problem. If you're ever drowning, you're underwater, I'm dying, and you hear the three blasts of the whistle, you're like, oh, that's good, I hope that means what I think it means. And then you see spaloosh, these his body enter, you say, that's good news. Friends, Christmas, when I say Merry Christmas, I hear a sploosh as Jesus enters into our world. He's come to save the day. Now, what does the lifeguard do next? After the lifeguard jumps in, he does what we call the approach. And we learned the head high freestyle, this way to swim with your head high so you could approach maintaining eye contact with the victim the the whole time. Uh, The approach of Jesus is very profound. Jesus said when he was here on planet earth, he said, I have come. Are you interested why I'm here? I have come. I've not come to check out this world and see what it's like. No, no, no. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. I'm seeking them. I'm pursuing every single human being. In fact, Jesus used a shepherding analogy. I bet the shepherds would have appreciated this analogy. But Jesus said, a good shepherd, if he loses only one sheep, his heart of love leads to him seeking to save that one sheep. And Jesus says, you need to know why I'm here. I'm not here to say hi. I came to planet earth to seek and save every single human being. Christ is coming after you. Now you say, he wants to seek and save every human being. Are you saying every human being is saved? No, 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 no. Most are not, unfortunately. And you say, well, why not? I'll tell you why not. In lifeguarding, this moment of contact between the victim and the rescuer is the most significant and dangerous moment of all. You know why? Most victims don't want to be saved. And you're like, lifeguarding? Yep. 
uh, hear me out. They want to save themselves, but they don't want to be saved. Uh, What I mean by that is that a drowning victim is freaking out. They are frantically trying to save themselves. And when the guard comes, one of the biggest problems is they will push the guard down. In their desperate attempt to climb and save themselves, there'll be double drownings. You know, where the lifeguard goes down. And, And so one of the big parts of lifeguard training is escapes. An escape is like when this crazy victim gets you in a front head hold how do you get out of it? Or a rear head hold, or a double grip on one wrist escape. All these escapes we would learn because of the simple dynamic that the human instinct is so desperately to try to save yourself. Being saved by another doesn't come naturally. And the same is true with Christ. Jesus has come to save, but the natural inclination of so many of us is to say, no, 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 I'll save myself. And our attempt to save ourselves comes in the form of moral living. So many people say, man, I want to get to heaven. I I want to get to the side of the pool. And I think I can get there myself. I'm going to try. I'm not going to be morally perfect, but I'll be better than you. And I'm going to try to really live a moral life. And I'm going to go to church. And I'm going to say prayers. And I'm going to, you know, get baptized and take communion. And I, I figure that if I can just be better than most people... God grades on a curve and I'll get in. You know, that's what people think. It's the number one dominant worldview when it comes to religion. And Jesus says there's never been a single soul who's made it to the edge of the pool on their own. And there never will be, Jesus said. It is by grace and not by works, the Bible says over and over again. Works is good works. A human attempt to save yourself. And the Bible says it'll never work that way. And grace is this gift of salvation where Jesus saves us. The only way to be saved is to do this unnatural dynamic of giving up, of saying, you know, Lord, my effort to impress you with my moral life and trying to earn a way, I'm done. I give it up, and I'm going to rather allow you, Jesus, to do for me what I can't do for myself. All of my hope is no longer in my own goodness, All of my hope is in you rescuing me. Jesus, rescue me. I'm going to lay back and let you do what you came to do. That's how you get saved. That's what faith is. Faith is abandoning all hope of getting to heaven on your own good deeds and turning instead to the Savior saying, you're my only hope. And when you do, Jesus will save you. Let's draw a line here. And that's... This is the saving of Jesus. As lifeguards, we would do a a cross-chest carry. That cross-chest carry doesn't symbolize how Jesus saves very well. On Friday, uh, we had our small group at our house. And interestingly, one of the small group members saw my whistle. It was on the counter. I was preparing for this message. It got us talking about lifeguarding. And the small group member says, I was never trained as a lifeguard, but a couple years ago I saved a kid. Or tell us about it. He said, I was at a party, you know, and a bunch of people were out in the backyard and the kids were swimming. And he said, all of a sudden, this little boy in the deep end is going under. And I looked around, no one else saw. And he said, I'm not a strong swimmer, but I jumped in and swam out to him. He goes, and then I, when I got there, I realized, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and he said, I just kind of instinctively grabbed the poor kid by the waist and lifted him up so that he could breathe. He said, it worked 
brilliantly for him, but as I lifted him up, I went down, he said. And he goes, I I found myself with my feet hitting the bottom of the pool. I'm underwater, but the kid has got his head above the water. And he's like, okay, now I got to get to the side. And he says, on my tiptoes, I'm trying to walk back. And he goes, I could not make progress very swiftly. And I'm running out of air. And he said, "I, I started to have this panic thought that I'm going to save this kid and I'm going to drown in the meantime. Uh, By the way, that rescue attempt is not in the Red Cross manual for how to save. (laughs) But that is in the Bible because that's exactly how Jesus did it. He drowned that we might live. Do you realize the cross of Christ is Jesus dying in our place? Our sin and rebellion carries with it the penalty of death. And Jesus said, what if I died instead of you? What if I satisfied justice by suffering the death penalty on your behalf? Transfer your guilt and sin to me and my shoulders and I'll die so you might live. The Bible doesn't use a lifeguarding analogy of a guy you know, on the bottom of the pool, but the Bible does use an analogy, the analogy of a sacrificial lamb. You know, throughout the Old Testament, this imagery of the innocent lamb dying on our behalf dawns on me that when the shepherds heard that a Savior has come, the natural question is, how will the rescuer save And if anybody were to understand how he was going to do the saving, it was the shepherds who would have gotten it. I'm not saying that they got it. I don't know that they did. But think about it. Their whole job was about raising sheep outside of Jerusalem. Bethlehem is like a suburb of Jerusalem. It's the the outside. So this farmland around Bethlehem is the farmland outside of Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem was the temple. And at the temple, thousands of sheep every year were sacrificed. And so people would come to Jerusalem. They would buy a sheep to sacrifice from those guys. I bet you these shepherds sold the majority, or at least a good portion, of their sheep to those who were bringing them to sacrifice. So they understood this concept, that someone buys the sheep, they bring it in, the worshiper puts their hand on the sheep's head, symbolically transferring their sin and guilt to the innocent animal. The innocent animal suffers and dies uh, so that the person can be forgiven. The shepherds got this. Their whole career was about this practice, all designed to point to Christ. In fact, one of the other things the shepherds were very familiar with is that Only the best sheep were qualified. The Bible says that the sheep that's offered at sacrifice must be spotless, flawless, uh, without any defect. And so a shepherd could sell a spotless lamb at a premium because it was going to sacrifice. So there was more money in spotless lambs. So you can imagine shepherds were always around the birthing process. When sheep would give birth, they were always there. And they were always excited because this was kind of like the uh, slot machine. You know, you didn't know what was going to come out. You're like, I hope it's good. And if it was a spotted, defective lamb, you'd get lesser amount. But if Uh, the shepherd inspected the newborn and found it qualified for sacrifice, they would be excited about that. So they were all about newborns. They were all about inspecting newborns to see if they were 
qualified for sacrifice. And these shepherds were the first ones to be at the newborn Jesus Christ. Checking him out. I wonder if the thought, is he qualified for sacrifice, went through their mind. Probably not. But John the Baptist, 30 years later, pointed to the adult Jesus Christ and said, Look, everybody, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He will save by giving his life as a lamb does for our forgiveness and salvation. Friends, this is your story. It's not a cute diagram. This is your drama. You are, and I am, the drowning victim, doomed to eternal death and misery by our own rebellion. But today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. God, in his infinite love, saw us and cared enough to sound the alarm ancient ages ago through the prophets that the Messiah would come And at Christmas, spoloosh, he entered our world. And he, and he alone, can rescue us. Now, some of you are like, man, I'm feeling the joy again. That's my prayer. Is that you'd feel the joy again. That you'd realize, boy, I've been focusing on lesser news. Bad news that just doesn't matter nearly as much. And Lord, help me this Christmas to elevate this life-defining drama. Let this be the thing that causes my heart to be filled with great joy. Now, others of you are like, wait a minute. I'm just figuring out that my effort to save myself is never going to get me out of this mess. Yeah, let's do something about that. The incredible truth is that because salvation is a free gift, because it's simply asking Jesus to do what he came to do, it can be taken care of in a moment. In a moment's prayer, like the one we're about to pray, you can turn and trust the Savior. And so let's do that. I want to close in prayer, and this gives any of you who are confused on this matter a chance to become truly rescued or truly saved. All you got to do is turn to a God in prayer who's listening and say, you know what, I get it. So I'll pray out loud, but he's more interested in what you say silently. So so let's pray, shall we? Lord, uh, we get it. We get it. You're never going to be impressed, are you? No amount of striving to live a good life is ever going to get us out of this mess. And so we give it up. Lord, hear us say, officially, we are done trying to save ourselves. Jesus, you are our only hope. Savior, rescuer, take us. Apply what you did on the cross to our lives, even right now. Wash away our sin and our guilt. Bring us to right relationship with God in this sacred moment. We want to be with you, Lord, both now and for all eternity. We want to follow you, love you, live for you. Take our drowning lives and save us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.